CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. You know, I've said on the show at least once before that for a long time in my work as a journalist, I used to feel like I'd really reached kind of the pinnacle of political journalism, traveling around the country, getting to cover presidential uh, campaigns, uh, working at the White House and Capitol Hill when important stories were breaking. And, and that, that, that's exciting. Um, but right around the early 2000s, when partisanship became so extreme uh, in Washington that nobody was able to work with one another across party lines to get anything really accomplished, it finally occurred to me that the place where the real work of government uh, gets done and where the people are really served, it's in local communities. It's county commissioners, it's mayors who are dealing with everyday problems and doing it across party lines. How interesting in these toxic partisan times. And that's why every now and then I really love doing shows with uh, some of the top mayors in Georgia, and that's what we're doing uh, today. First, let me introduce my partner on the Wednesday Political Rewind today, Greg Bluestein, AJC political reporter and the author of Flipped, his uh, upcoming public book on the 2020 race in Georgia. How are you doing, Greg? I'm doing great, and I'm so honored to be with this panel of esteemed mayors. It's going to be a fun show today. It's a really good group. Um, and let me get right to them. Uh, mayor Julie Smith, Tifton's uh, mayor. Mayor Smith is uh, not only the uh, mayor of Tifton, Georgia, uh, but she is also the first vice president of the Georgia Municipal Association and will soon step into the role as president of the Municipal Association, which I think is, am I right, Mayor Smith, 536 cities across the state that uh, are you, represented you almost, by GMA? almost got it, 537. <laughs> oh. 537. So, uh, and what an honor to serve um, not only my community, but my state. I get to uh, network and, and meet wonderful people like my fellow mayors on this panel and, uh, and learn from them. And uh, just, you know, it's just such an honor. And I'm so humbled to, uh, to be a part of that organization. Well, and we're humbled to have you as a a semi-regular panelist (laughs) on Political Rewind. Mayor Hardy Davis of Augusta is with us. Hardy Davis has had a long career in politics and public service. He was in the State House, in the State Senate. He is a founder and past president of the African American Mayors Association. Um, Hardy Davis, thank you for being here today. Bill, it's always great to be here. Uh, Again, I have a wonderful opportunity to hang out with some key friends of mine, uh, Mayor Julie Smith, Mayor Rusty Paul. We've been friends for a long time, so looking forward to our conversation today. Um, I saved for last uh, the newly reelected uh, mayor of Sandy Springs, <laughs> Rusty Paul. Um, mayor Paul, we're so happy to have you back. You, you know, we sort of have a policy here that when people are active candidates, we don't invite them on the show. And it's really good that your election is over and we can have you back on Political Rewind. Yeah, I was in an enforced sabbatical from Political Rewind, but I'm glad to be, <laughs> glad to be back and uh, safely ensconced at least for four more years, uh, thanks to the citizens of Sandy Springs. 
Uh, Mayor Paul has had a long career in uh, in public life. He was the chairman of the state Republican uh, Party. He served in uh, as an assistant uh, uh, secretary in uh, what used to be the Department of Housing and Urban Development when Jack Kemp was the secretary uh, there and also served as a state senator. So our people, Greg, have great credentials. And Greg, let me let me start by asking you a question. Do you relate to what I said at the top of the show, that it's interesting, each of these mayors, um, if pushed, would tell you they certainly identify with one party or the other. But mayors don't have the easy job of just falling into uh, partisan uh, 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 trenches to deal with their work. Not at all, because they they have to actually lead on the ground level, right? So I agree with you completely. Um, they uh, they have to cross party lines to get things done for their communities, and we see them as uh, like as we should as as laboratories for what actually can get done in politics. And you know, in legislature and in state politics, we see flashes of bipartisanship, but every single day these mayors are out there um, living that, and and you know, and, and making. I'd, I'd say the vast majority of their, of their decisions have nothing to do with with partisan allegiance. They have to do with what's doing best for their community. So I do thank you for that. I, I do want to uh, dig down and find out how things are going in each of your cities. Um, and Mayor Davis, I just learned a minute ago that you have to leave us early, so I'm going to start with uh, you. Um, give us a quick snapshot. How are things going during this pandemic? At this stage of the pandemic, tell us a little bit about how you're doing in Augusta in terms of cases of COVID. How they we know that they've fallen down dramatically across the state, but how is it? How is the economy of the city doing? How is employment going? Just give us a, a, a basic status report. You know, this is uh, this has been an incredible time for the city of Augusta. Like most cities across Georgia, Augusta is not unique in that we've seen our COVID cases drop considerably. Uh, our hospitalizations are at an all-time low right now. While we see a few cases from week to week, uh, we are at a place where people are getting out, spending more time outdoors, spending more time, again, congregating. Uh, at the same time, our economy has been extremely robust. We've gone from this place of where we were shutting down during the pandemic in 2020, and we still saw incredible sales tax revenue coming into Augusta. We started the year 2021 really as a bellwether year. Uh, got the latest unemployment numbers. We're at 2.6% unemployment in Augusta and the CSRA region, which is phenomenal. That means that people have an opportunity to go to work if they want a job. So things are certainly on the uptick for us. Uh, we're excited about as we move into the fall of this year. On next week, we'll adopt the FY 2022 budget, which is an almost $1 billion budget, about $980 million uh, when you look at all of our funds. So Augusta's in a really good place. Uh, the challenge for us is getting shots in arms. You know, we had a campaign through GMA, Georgia Municipal Association, Mayor Smith, she's helped lead that effort as well. Uh, but that's our challenge right now, getting shots in arms. We've done some things to incentivize that, like my good friend Mike Thurman over in the cap. Uh, we're not as successful as he is right now, but we are making great strides. And I think as we move into our next mass vaccination effort, we're going to see even greater uptick in terms of the number of people who come out. And one, they're going to be incentivized immediately. But more importantly, as they go into the fall of the year, know how important it is to be able to take care of their families by getting that vaccination. But Augusta's in a really good place right now. 
Mayor Smith, I want you, I'd love for you to tell us a little about Tifton specifically, but I'm also interested, given your position at GMA, in, um, in what appears to me to be a counterintuitive uh, reality about Georgia during the pandemic. The state of Georgia, as, as uh, Mayor Davis just talked about in his city of Augusta, has record uh, sales ref- tax revenues. They are rolling in money across the state. Many cities are doing well. Unemployment is low in some I, it seems like it, it's hard for me to understand how that could be happening uh, in the midst of a pandemic. So talk about Tifton, but then give us a sense of why this seems to be the case in a number of cities across Georgia. Absolutely. And to sort of mirror Mayor Davis's comments, Tifton's done very well. I mean, we're, we are not an anomaly. We, we are kind of trending and tracking along with the rest of the state. Uh, our challenge is also getting shots in arms. We have a very low vaccination rate, unfortunately. Uh, I was looking at some of our numbers in preparation for this show this morning, and we're only, Tiff County's only about 40% vaccinated. So, um, again, just continuing to encourage people, please get vaccinated, regardless of where you live, um, and, and consider that. Talk to your, your medical professional and, and follow suit with that. Um, but our sales tax collection has been up, you know, in looking at the numbers from our from the census, our population is up. So we're trying to manage smart growth. Um, I think what we're seeing across the state is COVID did show us you don't necessarily have to live in the metropolitan area. A lot of people are migrating out to rural areas and smaller communities and looking for that sort of uh, slower paced quality of life. And we're, we're reaping that benefit here in Tift County. And so uh, we have challenges with housing. Uh, we have challenges with affordable housing. Uh, our, our prices are just skyrocketing. People, I'm, you know, my daytime job is a real estate agent, and I'm seeing people pay money for houses I never thought we'd see in Tifton. But uh, so it's good for sellers. But um, but but housing is a big challenge, and and where do we put these folks? And uh, our unemployment rate is very low as well. So if people want to work, there are jobs. We've done very well with our industrial maintenance and industrial recruitment. We've got an incredible development authority who works very, very hard, and and, uh, we're reaping the rewards. So um, I think we're just sort of following track with the rest of the state. I scratch my head about why the success during a pandemic. I really don't uh, don't know, other than it, it maybe it forced people to be home. It forced us to look at how we live our lives day to day. And uh, I think our priorities may be shifting and changing. So that may be part of the um, support of a local economy and supporting local small business and uh, and making sure that those tax dollars are turning over in our communities. Mayor Paul, give us a sense of Sandy Springs right now. Well, our, the same situation. Uh, we're, we've done extremely well. <clears throat> One of the things that really helped, you know, is people were shopping online rather than going into the bricks and mortars uh, one of the smart things the legislature did was begin a, a couple of years ago to tax those online sales, which helped keep our uh, sales tax revenues up. Otherwise, we would be in real bad shape. Uh, the biggest challenge we have economically is, uh, you know, the, the central perimeter is the economic heart of, of this area. <clears throat> and those, uh, in, those empty office buildings are filling back up. But the biggest challenge we have economically is getting people to back to work. Uh, every every business, whether it's restaurants, construction, uh, every business I talk to, the, their biggest challenge is finding uh, workers to fill these these jobs, and uh, that's the real that's the only thing holding us back right now from just really just blowing everything out 
is the number of people we need to get back, whether it's truck drivers, construction workers, restaurant workers, uh, landscape people, every job. Uh, they're, they're, they're just suffering right now from a shortage of, of, of employees, and uh, if, if that weren't the problem, we would be operating at full capacity right now. Thank you all for uh, giving us those uh, snapshots of your communities. Uh, Greg, these mayors and leaders across the state, county commissioners, uh, and, and so, in some cases private businesses, are all looking at a couple of enormous pots of money that are headed their way. And I want to talk about them, I, I guess, separately, although they're going to fold into one another. First, of course, Greg, as, as you know, is the fact that the state of Georgia is going to begin distributing fairly soon um, something like four-plus billion dollars, the first batch is like $875 million, I think, of federal COVID relief money, which Congress appropriated. And um, I want to just read quickly about it, Greg, from a story that your colleague Tia Mitchell wrote about it. She quoted the uh, National League of Cities representative Michael Gleason, who uh, talked about the money going to something like 3,000 counties, 19,000 cities. He says it's an unprecedented infusion of money, and he says this, we really can't underscore how important it is for some of these cities and towns to get this financial help, especially at a time when government employment was decreasing due to the pandemic. This allows them to not only make up lost revenues, but build their community back, communities back in a stronger and more resilient ways. So while they all say they're doing fairly well, this infusion of money is going to really uh, uh, help them all enormously. It really will. It's important to remember, too, you know, a lot of the focus is on the infrastructure package and the social spending policies that are going to amount to about $3 trillion if, if when all is said and done. But this is a $1.9 trillion plan that passed uh, months ago, um, shortly after uh, President Biden took office. And, yeah, it amounts to $350 billion in coronavirus relief funding spread to every city and county in America, including billions in Georgia, and it still is just being um, meted out. And you're seeing some cities use it to try to apply for broadband funding and, 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 and funding to expand their Internet capabilities to increase teleworking and, and, and remote health care capabilities. You're seeing other, others look to, for actual you know, more physical infrastructure with some of those um, in health care spending um, for some of their spending. Um, and you're seeing schools use it for, for different various purposes trying to make school safety um, and school building safer in the next pandemic. Um, and so these are very tough decisions um, that are being made right now um, by all these local officials. So um, I, want, I want to make sure, I, I think I'm correct about this, Mayor uh, uh, Smith, but um, while cities and, and counties will be able to take advantage of this fund, there are also private businesses that are applying for uh, many of these funds as well, right? That would be correct. And, you know, from a, um, from a, from a municipal standpoint, um, one of the things I think has been very beneficial for this funding for our communities is the restrict. It's not so restrictive that it's not usable. And so in Tifton, we're looking at health, health initiatives for our employees and for our community, but we want to be able to combine that money um, using all the tools in the toolbox for infrastructure. That is just our number one focus right now. So we're looking at uh, some infrastructure improvement. Um, so that's really our focus. And, um, you know, I, I think 
you know, we, we've got to have strong infrastructure. We can't say that enough. I know people are sort of tired of that buzzword, but it's the truth. What's underground isn't always sexy and fun to talk about, but it's the, you know, it's the most important part of our community. So, um, so we're looking at health initiatives and, and combining that with the infrastructure dollars to get the most bang for the buck. Well, and that, that's why these, these two met, uh, 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 developments kind of go hand in glove. Of course, this past week, we also finally saw the House approve the infrastructure uh, measure, which uh, President Biden had proposed uh, months and months ago, which was the subject of an awful lot of infighting among Democrats in the House. Um, uh, but it's on his way to his desk. And uh, Rusty Paul uh, that money, too, is going to add to the ability of a, of a city and a county to deal not just with infrastructure needs, but all the other needs that the first COVID pot of money will give you. Rusty, Paul? Well, we're fortunate that we have three pots of money to pull from right now. One is the, uh, <clears throat> the COVID relief funds. We uh, got an allocation of $13 million in two tranches. Secondly, the, the uh, infrastructure money that will be coming, we, we've got a lot of infrastructure needs here. But we, we have a situation here in Sandy Springs and Fulton County that many other counties and locales don't. Our voters just approved another uh, five years of T-SPLOST, and that will generate another $100 million for Sandy Springs for uh, road improvements. Uh, we've got major road widening projects, Hammond Drive, uh, Johnson Ferry, Mount Vernon, uh, that are, will have a major impact on mobility in this community once we get these done, along with the billion-plus dollars that the state's spending on 4285. There's a lot of disruption right now, but when this is done, we hope that we will have a, a, a totally renewed transportation mobility plan, and we want to tap that uh, infrastructure pot for money to finally get the uh, rapid bus transit up and down 400 connecting Alpharetta and parts north uh, to the MARTA system here in Sandy Springs. Mayor Davis, jump in. Yeah, without question. Uh, we've had uh, an opportunity to do some phenomenal things. I want to point out one thing. I think Greg was kind of leaning into this of the $350 billion. What was unique about the ARPA dollars is that they came directly to cities and municipalities across the nation. Uh, unlike the CARES Act funding, which went to the state, then had to be appropriated out, these dollars came directly to us, which where we're, again, better able to get those dollars out into the hands of our citizens, making a difference. In Augusta, we are uh, standing to receive about $82.1 million. Of that, some highlights for what we're attempting to do uh, is around public safety. Uh, we wanted to make some significant strides around public safety. We also uh, took care of our employees, particularly those employees who were not at a living wage. Uh, we adopted a measure where we're paying all of our employees starting in the next paycheck in November, uh, a minimum of $15 per hour uh, using those CARES Act dollars, I'm sorry, uh, ARPA dollars. In addition to that, uh, we wanted to make a real dent in the area of blight uh, and revitalization in Augusta. So we've allocated a million dollars for blight and affordable housing, leveraging those ARPA dollars. At the same time... What, what, when you use that expression, make sure our, our listeners know what you're talking mm -hmm. about, the ARPA dollars. Yeah, uh, American Recovery Act dollars. Those dollars Thank we're you. using, again, for blight and affordable housing uh, all across this nation, and certainly in Georgia and cities like ours, uh, we have the challenge of affordable housing. Uh, when you look at uh, stagnant wages for so many years, individuals are being priced out of the market. 
but we've made some strides where that's concerned. Uh, we've also taken an effort to uh, expand our efforts around uh, public safety with our retention pay for our sheriffs. We've got some investments that we're making uh, around our marshal's office with body cameras. These are some just general highlights. Uh, we also have an effort that focuses around infrastructure, roads and bridges, uh, things that have languished on the books for decades in Augusta. We're now going to be able to get done. Uh, just like Mayor Paul indicated uh, with TSPLOS, we were one of the first reasons to pass TSPLOS back in 2012. We've done it again in 2020. Uh, so we'll be teeing that up for the second time. But in addition to that, we've got dollars that we're using for road resurfacing that are allowable expenses. Uh, we're trying to make a big difference across the entire county, uh, not just in certain pockets. So, I mean, Greg, when you hear that these, these, these projects, this is exactly what we started the show talking about. I mean, these are the basic things in everyday life that have an impact on, on citizens and have an impact on workers. Uh, for county governments, city governments, whatever. Um, but it's interesting, Greg, uh, one of the projects, and Mayor Davis, one of the big infrastructure projects that it looks like uh, at least John Ossoff's office says will be funded is a new interstate from um, Columbus to Augusta, which has been something that's been long hoped for and wished for and which people see as enormously uh, meaningful in terms of improving uh, uh, traffic back and forth between your communities. Are you on mute, Mayor Davis? Yeah, the goal there, uh, Bill, and, and we're so incredibly proud of the work that both Senators Ossoff and Warnock are engaged in. Um, they've worked in a bipartisan fashion to not only identify this project, uh, it's been talked about for years, uh, but connecting really our military bases from Texas all the way to Georgia. Uh, and we've got a unique opportunity to do that. You think about Georgia's economy and our reliance on the military, whether it's Fort Benning, Fort Stewart, Fort Gordon, uh, where we've quickly become the cybersecurity capital of the nation in Augusta. We have an opportunity with that interstate to connect those resources, those installations, um, which means a great deal for all of us. And so I'm excited about it. Uh, I look forward to not only seeing funding made available for that, but uh, where we can get shovel ready and put people to work in uh, the nation and certainly here in Georgia. And, Mayor, you Greg. talk about not uh, bipartisanship, but none other than Texas Senator Ted Cruz has also endorsed this because the highway would go all the way out to some military installations in the Lone Star State. So, you you know, when, when I'm about to hear Senator Warnock, I bet he'll mention this as a shining example of bipartisanship um, when it comes to infrastructure projects. Absolutely, yes, Greg, but, but just... Yeah. Go, go ahead, Mayor. No, go ahead, Mayor Davis. Yeah. Uh, Senator Warnock, we talked about this. Uh, he absolutely is very proud of this. Uh, and, and it was unique that uh, both he and Senator Ted Cruz, they had some robust discussions about it. Uh, but this is why uh, we need to see this type of effort uh, in our nation's capital. Uh, you started mentioning it early. Cities are our nation's laboratory of democracy. Uh, we, the, the majority of our nation's GDP happens in and around cities. And so when you look at the things that are taking place, whether it's Sandy Springs, whether it's Tifton or Augusta, we, we quite frankly, again, are those laboratories of democracy. What we are interested in is doing the most good for the most people and representing all of our cities 
uh, and our residents making sure that they have opportunity. And so this is another shining example of that. So, Mayor Davis, as I said, I was just notified uh, right when we went on the air that you have to go to a, a meeting and, and that we can't hold on to you any longer. I'm very sorry we can't because we'd love to hear more about what's happening in Augusta. But I appreciate your being with us for the first half of the show. Um, we're going to take a break right now, let you go off to that meeting, and we'll return with more on Political Rewind. Welcome back to Political Rewind. We continue now with Tifton Mayor Julie Smith and Sandy Springs Mayor Rusty Paul and Greg Bluestein, political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hey, Greg, before we talk, continue to talk about mayors, um, of course, yesterday, if people were listening to this show, they heard us spend the first few minutes uh, paying tribute to uh, Max Cleland, who, who died the night before last of heart failure. He'd been struggling for quite a long time. Uh, with his health, and uh, he died at age 79. Uh, the reason I bring it up now is I'd love to get th people's thoughts on this on this show today, but also, Greg, uh, for people who have not read the AJC this morning, um, Patricia Murphy, who worked for Max Cleveland, and we mentioned that on the show yesterday, wrote an absolutely uh, beautiful, beautiful piece about him uh, in in the paper today. And, and Sam Burmis does, if we could post a link to that, for our listeners across the state, uh, it would really be helpful. It was it was a beautifully done uh, piece. Um, Greg, your thoughts? Yeah, it was a tearjerker, and you know, and it's amazing to have someone like Patricia who 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 not just covered the man later on, but knew him so well, and, and just spoke with him last a few days ago. Um, I was struck too. You know, we always have these stories with presidents and governors and and mayors speaking highly of, 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 of politicians like Max Cleland. But I was struck by all the personal stories that we heard from regular people who remember him going to their elementary school and shooting baskets one-handed and not and, and answering every single question that came up. And from you know people who worked with him, who were interns from one was a, a staffer of his who was arrested on a minor traffic violation and remembered. That, that Senator Cleland stayed overnight and made sure he got out of jail. And then when, you know, when, when the staffer was so apologetic, I can't believe you did this, Senator, um, uh, Max Cleland said, you're my brother. I'll do anything for you. You know, we, 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 we few, you know, have to stick together. So he just touched every life um, in such a powerful way. And I'm, I'm so glad that there's been so much uh, re re reflection on, on his tenure and on his service uh, not just in the U.S. Senate, of course, but also to the state of Georgia as the Secretary of State and other uh, capacities. Mayor Paul, you were in uh, you were in one party. He he was in the other. One of the things, though, about Patricia Murphy piece, she reminded me of the way Max Cleland always greeted every one of us when he saw us. Uh, hey, brother. Hey, brother. How are you, brother? <laughs> Mayor Paul. Yeah, the uh, the uh, uh, I had the opportunity to travel with uh, Senator Cleland. We were on a, a panel together and he flew into an, an airport and the, the, the problems and challenges of moving him from place to place, the, the, the indignities and the humiliation that he would often have to go through just to get from point to point, and the great humor that he showed throughout all of that difficulty and all those challenges struck me is this is an individual who's, who's had some real tragedy in his life but has not allowed that tragedy to define who he is 
and, and to prevent him from going out and living his life to the fullest with a smile on his face and a hearty laugh whenever there was something uh, going on. I was very impressed by how he managed and handled his disabilities and, and the humor and, and, and the optimism that he carried throughout uh, despite those. Julie Smith, he, it's, a, it's, a law, it's, it's just a loss of, I mean, he'd been out of public service for quite a while, obviously, but as a looming kind of great character of Georgia politics, his loss is especially heartfelt. It is, and and what a gentleman, and I, you know, I think that's the, um, I think that's what we all need to aspire to be: is that kind, um, compassionate, caring person. And I'd also like to to mention the loss of Colin Powell. Um, I had the opportunity yeah. to, um, I was driving back from Atlanta the day of his funeral and listened to his funeral on the on the ride home, and was just so moved by these gentlemen who have given their life, but were just such genuine, caring, compassionate people. And if any of us that are in public service can take just an ounce of, of their integrity and who they were um, and, and take that into our public service life, our, our state and our country will be a much better place. But, but what a loss for, for, uh, for this nation from, uh, from the loss of Senator Cleland and also Colin Powell. Uh, Greg Bluestein, to the best of my knowledge, we're still waiting to hear about funeral arrangements for uh, Max. Isn't that is that correct? Do you have any update yeah. on that by any chance? Um, I do not have any update um, right now on that one. Okay, um, so let's move on. Let's go back and start talking about cities again with these two uh, uh, mayors who are with us uh, today. Um, Mayor Smith, I'd like to start um, with you. Um, if, if for no other reason, the, the UN climate conference is, you know, been going on in Scotland. And I read in one of the local uh, uh, publications that your city is looking at creating solar farm standards, which is a good lead into talking a little bit about how you are working on issues around climate change in the city of Tifton, and how concerning an issue it seems to be to your residents. It is a, it's a significant um, concern to our residents. You know, we, um, we had the opportunity to have a solar farm company come to our community, and we realized, you know, that's an important, um, that, that's, that's a good investment, that's an important aspect of um, of this green movement that we all need to be uh, aware of and, and working towards, but we had no standards. And so we wanted to make sure that we protected our neighborhoods, that we protected uh, fellow businesses uh, through zoning, through, uh, through quality development, and putting some regulation on those solar farms to make sure that they blend with our community in a way that is, um, is enhancing and is a positive blend. So, uh, so we did put um, some very specific requirements uh, they, the solar farm can only go in certain zoning classifications. They have to be aesthetically complementary to the area that they uh, will inhabit. And, um, and so it's, you know, I, I think we're going to see um, more and more movement across our state to green energy, and, and solar farms are going to be the way of the future. Um, Tifton was one of the first communities to have an electric car state, uh charging station with the Tesla charging stations. When that was put in, a lot of people you know, thought, well, why are they doing that? What, what, is, what is the benefit of that? But, um, but it's, it's full. It's right by the Starbucks and a couple of other restaurants. And, <laughs> and uh, as, as we see more and more cars going to the electric 
um, operation system. Uh, we'll, we'll see more of those across our community. So just making sure that as we embrace um, positive environmental development, that, that there are those aesthetics there that will complement the community. I, I'll ask you, and then I'll ask a, a Mayor Paul, of course, but are, do you still find that a partisan divide over whether climate change needs to be addressed in, the Tif, in Tifton, or are people coming around to understanding that this is a, a genuine issue, that science does prevail here? I do think there is some partisan divide, uh, and that, you know, you talk about um, our role as, as local elected officials. I think our role is to, to promote compromise and understanding and education uh, amongst our citizens. So, uh, so that's what we'll be working on. But I do see that there is that sort of partisan divide in that. Um, it's a, it, it is a balance of, you know, how do we create and grow our industry? How do we provide jobs for our community? Uh, but do so in a manner that's that, that's not going to create a carbon footprint that will, you know, our, our great grandchildren will have to pay the price for. So, uh, so as a local elected official, I think compromise, education, understanding is the way to uh, to help bridge that gap. Um, Mayor Paul, I'd, I'd love to hear you address that. But but let me add to the conversation. Uh, we also know that in the last week, in a in a related story, Southern Company has announced that it is going to shut 80% of its coal capacity uh, within the next seven years, basically, in 2028. That in itself sends a signal, I think, to people, regardless of party, that, that, that this, is a, this is serious business, Mayor Paul. Yeah, I'm sitting on the fifth floor. My, my office is the fifth floor of the city hall, and I'm looking out over my city right now, and I can't see it. And the reason I can't see it is because it's covered over with trees. Uh, one of the, the, the key issues for us is protecting our tree canopy, which is a great way to absorb whatever carbon is in the atmosphere. Uh, and we put a lot of uh, focus on, on making sure we protect our tree canopy. Uh, I'm literally a city of 110,000 people, and if you're not five stories above the tr uh, ground, you can't be seen here because of the tree canopy. We're investing a lot in green infrastructure, stormwater management control, uh, those sorts of things. We, we've, got a, we've created an office of sustainability uh, to uh, help us manage some of these things. Uh, so uh, it, 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 it's, it's a real issue. I mean, I'm sitting here looking, here we are mid-November, the trees are just now turning color. It used to, when I first moved to the Atlanta area, they would happen in mid to late October. Uh, here we are mid-November. We still haven't had a killing frost. So there's clearly something going on. Uh, and uh, our agriculture, I mean, peaches have to have a certain amount of cold weather to, to produce fruit. A lot of our agriculture uh, is required uh, to make sure we get a certain amount of cold weather each year. So these are things that have real impact, and uh, so we're trying to do our part. Uh, you know, we can't solve the world's problem, but we can at least do what we can here in San Diego. You know, Bill, we've been spending the most of the program extolling the virtues of local government uh, and all the many things that they do for the communities. But global warming, climate change is one of those things that we're, we're, we've heard time and again. Um, there's a need for a comprehensive federal solution or federal plan to combat this. And, and that's why the, the, the next few weeks of debate over the, the next phase of, of, of President Biden's package, the climate change slash social spending bill will be so, so crucial because it, it contains tens of billions of dollars uh, to combat climate change that is still 
um, very controversial in some quarters, as we, as, as we mentioned, and still opposed um, by some lawmakers who worry it's being misspent. Um, and so that will be a key part of the debate in the gridlock Congress. Well, you know, Greg, let me follow up on that with you. I mean, one of the your, you, everything you just said makes perfect sense. One of the things that I think the Biden administration has been criticized for is that um, for whatever reason, the price tag is what's gotten all of the attention. Their ability to communicate individual measures that they are working to enact hasn't gone as well for them. It hasn't been sold to the public as well. And I would think that includes some of the climate change uh, agenda that's part of that as well. Now, there is some climate change money in the infrastructure uh, measure, which which is going to be signed. But the bigger chunk of it does come uh, in the next uh, phase, right? Yeah, and and that's why I'm really curious to hit the trail today with some Democratic lawmakers, uh, congressional lawmakers, to hear how they're messaging this, because they've been under criticism, as you mentioned, uh, for not being able to boil it down into something digestible um, for, for, for Americans. And, you know, we, we saw last week President Biden start to do that, saying that, you know, summing it up in two sentences, that this will lower your health care bills, lower your, 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 your education bills, and start combating climate change. But what we really will be looking to see is if, is if um, Democratic lawmakers can communicate that message, because right now you're seeing in national polls and in state polls Biden's approval ratings are lagging, and um, the, the, the sentiment over this package is souring. Um, all right, let's do this. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way. And when we come back, I have a lot more I'd like to talk about with this panel today. So we'll do that in just a moment. Uh, Mayor Paul, uh, I'd just like to pick up on one thing that Greg Bluestein mentioned before uh, the break that I think is important, especially for, for your city of Sandy Springs. He, he said, of course, that whatever cities might want to do to mitigate climate change problems, um, it, a federal standard eventually is going to have to uh, be put into effect, uh, according to many people. And, and in your case, you as in Sandy Springs, there's only so much you can do about uh, greenhouse gases. I mean, emissions are a problem that you have not very much control over in your community with the interstates that you deal with every single day. So the notion that the feds have to step in, I think, becomes important. It is. It is. But it, I, I'll, I'll, I'll disagree slightly with my good friend, Craig Bluestein, Greg Bluestein, is that it's not just a federal. This is a global problem. And you've got to get countries like yeah. China, India, and a lot of other uh, emerging economies that are still heavily dependent on coal and other uh, uh, fuels like that. They've got to come on board because no matter what we do in the United States, they're large enough to totally offset everything we do. So this is truly a global issue, uh, and it's going to take global leadership. Uh, and, and, and China and India and some of these other big economies that are heavily coal dependent are going to have to step up as well. The, the feds, you know, the U.S. government can help lead, but unless these other countries come along, we're not going to make as much of a dent as we need to, and that's going to put a lot of stress and pressure on the American economy and giving an advantage to India and China uh, from, from an economic point of view. So they have to step up as well. 
Oh, totally. Uh, very good point, Mayor. Tot- totally agree. And there are, you know, there's negotiations going on right now. And I know Senator Ossoff was out in Europe um, earlier this week at a climate change summit. Um, and so there's all sorts of discussions about going towards that direction again. Uh, and we'll see where they go. Um, Greg Bluestein, I want to go back, you know, this sort of bipartisanship or the fact that cities uh, tend not to have as much partisanship as as uh, government does it in, in, in the federal level, in Congress, in the White House, whatever. Um, but I do want to point out, Greg, that we talked about the new interstate, the proposed interstate from uh, Columbus to Augusta. Uh, and it's interesting to me that um, when the House voted on this, Every Republican member of the delegation from Georgia voted against uh, the infrastructure bill. And that included Drew Ferguson, who third district, and whose, whose constituents stand to gain enormously from that infrastructure, from that highway. And I'll, I'll go further, right? I mean, the, um, let's say port spending. Um, there's $8 million in, in new inland port facilities. And Buddy Carter, the Republican who represents Savannah, voted against the infrastructure bill. Um, you know, Governor Kemp has been extolling uh, parts of the coronavirus relief package, and he gets to dole out some money, uh, billions of dollars. Uh, but he uh, opposed uh, that that measure, you know, down here from Georgia, even though he didn't have a vote on it. So you're going to see Republicans in this unique position of, of praising the spending while opposing the underlying package. Um, and I you know, see that re- repeat over and over again, um, not just with the coronavirus relief fund and infrastructure package, but maybe even um, the next round, if, if it ever does pass, the, the social spending policy. Mayor Smith, it does it seem to me, my experience over the years has been that constituents like yours and like Mayor Paul's uh, are very eager to tell Congress, cut down on spending. You're spending too much of our money. Oh, wait a minute. Don't cut it in my community. It's a dilemma for a public official. It is. It's a balancing act, that's for sure. Uh, sometimes you can't win for losing. But, um, you know, it. Uh, I was I was very disappointed um, in um, some of the no votes on that infrastructure bill. And I uh, had had personal conversations, uh, felt like we had um, – really made uh, great strides in communicating the needs of our local communities and why that infrastructure bill was so important. And um, again, I talked a minute ago about compromise. Um, it's you know, it's just very frustrating uh, on a local level. Um, we're you know we are the recipients of what happens on that state and federal level and it, and if and if we don't have that compromise and understanding of what Georgia communities need, we all suffer. And my constituents are their constituents, and so we, we serve the same body. But it is a challenge. It, it's you know, it's uh, yeah, fewer taxes, less government. But at the same time, um, you know, how do you how do you run your community or, or manage your community in a in an appropriate way uh, without the funding to do so? So it's it's definitely a challenge. Mayor Paul. Yeah, it's, you know, having been a a party leader and then also when I was in the Senate in the minority and the Republicans in Congress are acting like minorities anywhere. They they look to the majority and say, you want this? You figure out how to pass it. Uh, That's just the nature of partisan politics and legislative bodies. But one of the if you're going to spend money, spend it on capital projects that make a difference in our community. We have way underinvested in in, uh, infrastructure over really since the 1970s when the interstate era ended 
We, have, we quit spending for infrastructure, and we're paying a price for it right now. It's much more expensive to go back and fix deteriorated capital projects than it is to, to keep them maintained and keep them going forward. And because we've underinvested in, in capital projects, infrastructure, uh, we're, we're paying a price for it, and we need to do this. So if you're going to spend money, spend it on things that are going to have that will last for a long time and have a true impact on on the economy, like infrastructure. Um, I want to pick up on infrastructure again, Mayor Smith, because there, you talked about infrastructure needs in Tifton, but I'd love it if you'd be a little specific about what that means in your community. What are the infrastructure needs you're hoping this money uh, will help you address? Absolutely. Um, you know, we're very fortunate to have um, interstates that, and highways that run right through my community. That brings a lot of economic opportunity to uh, to the town, and, and we're thankful for that. Uh, but we, you know, we deal with stormwater runoff. We deal with weather conditions. We talked about global warming a few minutes ago. We're seeing more storms and and uh, tornadoes, hurricanes, and, and uh, you know, how do we deal with that? Where does that water go when we have uh, tremendous storms? Um, we are the sort of the agricultural belt of the South, and, and we feed the world, but at the same time, um, how do we get that produce out to the ports and to the airports for shipment across the, the, the country? Um, so I would say roads are significantly important, stormwater runoff and, and storm drainage issues in our community. Uh, we're looking at that. Um, we have parts of our community that with just a small amount of rain, they flood, and we can't have that. So uh, so dealing with that, making sure that it's done in a manner that provides clean air, clean water. Um, you know, I look at communities where they have issues with water, and, and water is, is tremendous. Fortunately, we're on this aquifer, so our water is, is plentiful. But how do we get that water out to our citizens, and then how do we bring that water back and, and process it, uh, you know, from a sewer standpoint? So. Well, that's interesting you mentioned water because, uh, Mayor Paul, uh, I read an article about your uh, plans for your, your next term in office. And one of the things you're concerned about is water in Sandy Springs uh, as it relates to your getting water from the city of Atlanta. Right. We, uh, the city of Atlanta has the highest water rates, third highest water rates in the country. And there's one thing that about, about water because it's a necessity, it's essential for life. You, you are by law not allowed to charge any more than what it costs to take it from the source, treat it, and deliver it to the tap. And the city of Atlanta has ignored that part of the law because they not only are charging us, they're charging their poorest citizens exorbitant rates for water. They're, pay, they're charging way more than it costs to deliver water to the, to the source. Uh, in addition, uh, they control the, the pipes underground and haven't put a penny in our system uh, in, in over 20 years. So we've got a deteriorating water system uh, underground, and we want to get control of that and uh, make sure we make the investments necessary to not have a cataclysmic uh, or catastrophic failure of our, our most essential piece of infrastructure. Uh, and so we've been in litigation with the city of Atlanta, uh, and it's slowed down because the courts have been shut down, but it, it's crucial. And I'm hoping that the next mayor of Atlanta, I couldn't get the current mayor to even sit and talk to us about it. I'm hopeful that the next mayor will sit down with us and begin to uh, address some of these critical issues for our community. Yeah, and look, these are all very important points because a lot of the spending, probably the majority of the spending, will not go towards you know, the kind of quote-unquote sexy projects, the, the transit lines, 
the the gleaming new highway overpasses that, that you know people see on a daily basis. It'll go to stormwater retention. It'll go to broadband infrastructure. It'll go to sewer and pipelines and and water. Um, but it's the stuff that you rely on every single day without even knowing it. That you take for granted, frankly, uh, and that's what so much of this funding will end up going to. That's so important. That 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 reminds me that although virtually every time you've been on this show, Mayor Smith. When we approach an issue that may be a hot-button social issue, cultural issue, partisan issue, uh, your response almost always is, I'd really rather talk about potholes. Yes. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> All day long. Let's talk potholes. <laughs> All right. Um, let me ask you, Greg, we're, we're, we're seeing the uh, legislature move fairly quickly on the new maps, the Senate has now passed a map for, to uh, redraw its own lines, and the House seems to be moving rather quickly as well. And the public hasn't had an enormous amount of input since the special session started, right? Yeah, and you're seeing these maps being drawn with legal challenges firmly in mind from Republican leaders. Um, they're not as aggressive as I think many people, including some Republicans, thought they would be. Yeah. They're being drawn in the House particularly, to lose seats. The Republican majority will lose probably a half dozen seats, um, maybe even more. Um, and so, uh, you know, still still to preserve the majority well into the next decade, uh, sorry, well into the next few years, um, but not nearly as aggressive as some Republicans thought they would be drawn. Well, and, and, and we're running out of time, but Mayor Smith, I thought about you particularly in terms of this because it's in, in rural Georgia that we're really seeing a, an enormous difference in how lines are being uh, drawn and districts are evaporating. No, no question. Uh, you know, for both our um, Senate and our House representatives, um, you know, I read an interesting editorial this morning that um, no elected official should <laughs> should serve on a redistricting uh, committee to to review that. I thought that was kind of interesting. So um, we'll uh, you know we, it is what it is, and we'll work with with the folks that we have to work with and do the best that we can. Of course, we should point out, Mayor Paul, that states that have gone to commissions, allegedly nonpartisan uh, commissions, haven't had a great deal of success either in some cases, right? Anybody who thinks you can take the politics out of the redistricting process, which is the most political thing that ever happens in a legislative body, uh, is dreaming uh, about other things, too. It's, it's, it's the most political. I've been through one of those. I was, I was one of those yeah. who... I, told, I went to the well of the Senate during my redistricting session and said, I'm the only senator I know with a double wide because I'm going to follow my district no matter where you send it. <laughs> right. We are out of time. that's kind of the way it is uh, down there right now. Yeah. We are out of time uh, for today's show. Uh, Mayor Rusty Paul of Sandy Springs, Mayor Julie Smith of Tifton, thank you so much for a terrific conversation about your communities. And Greg Bluestein, of course, a pleasure to be with you. We're going to watch for your reporting on the event that you're going to with uh, Senators Warnock and Ossoff. It'll be interesting to hear what they have to say to you. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nygut. I'll be back again tomorrow. Please take care and stay healthy. Bye, everybody. <laughs>